Welcome to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. Stay tuned for this week's message. To recap really quickly, Ephesians, we know it's a book that was written by Apostle Paul around 60 AD. We know that it was a letter written by Paul most likely during his time in prison. And so because of that, the letter bears kind of a style or flavor that would indicate it wasn't written very quickly. It wasn't written in a hurry. Rather, rather the, the book of Ephesians really is a letter that is the product of seasoned theological reflection, right, by the Apostle Paul. Because who can agree that if one thing Paul had on his side, then it was time. Because he's um, in prison in Rome as a Roman citizen, so he's awaiting trial in front of Caesar. And so what he's doing is he's distilling to the church Uh, in Ephesus and the Ephesians, really, his insights and his learnings and his experience over many, many years, over a a significant period of time. Now, biblical scholars believe that the the letter of Ephesians is what we call circular in nature, so it wasn't written just to one church addressing a specific set of issues, but it was written in a way that it could be circulated around the churches and around the believers in the region at the time to encourage them. And I think if you break the book of Ephesians down, really, you put it into two halves, right? You have chapters 1 to 3, which really talk about our identity in Christ, our position in Him, and what is the benefits for us that come with that. And then the second half of Ephesians 4 to 6 really goes from what we call theological exposition to practical application. So how do we take what we have and put it into practice? Amen. So this morning, what I want to do is I both want to stir your faith, and I want to encourage you really, and remind you who you are in Christ and what you have to actually live a life that is significantly larger than the enemy, amen, to live a life that will position you to overcome and to live a life, really, you hear us say a lot in this church, to live your life to the fullest, amen. And uh, I wanted to probably just um, touch on the back of Ephesians 5 because I know that Pastor Christian didn't quite get to uh, completely cover it off last Sunday, and in particular, what I want to do is focus for a moment on marriage. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to come with me to Ephesians 5, to 28. And this is what it says. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be their own, to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And here Paul is making two very clear distinctions, right? He's talking about Christ. And, and husbands, and he's talking about women reflecting the church. And Paul's, what he's doing in this scripture is he's really defining for us position and function. What he's saying is that Christ, as the head, the husband is entrusted with, by him to lead his family and to lead his wife. Now, we can get this all wrong, and people in, in the world and churches get it wrong all the time when they read this, and everyone brings their own opinion. But when we talk about defining position and role for the husband, leading, we've got to always come back to, well, how did Christ do it? And Christ led His church with a heart that was servant-hearted. Husbands are called to lead their wives with a servant heart, not thinking of themselves above their wife or their family. And that we're served, we're to do it from a position of love, not from dominating, not lording it over, 
But in a humble and servant-hearted stance, we come and we lead our wives and we lead our families and we care for those God's entrusted to us. Likewise, the Scripture is telling us here, uh, wives are to submit. And again, you know, the feminist movement rises up here and can't handle that and go, no, no, no. I'm my own woman. I'm woman, hear me roar. I'm not submitting to anybody. I'm, I'm going to make it on my own. I can do it. I'm independent. But what, you've got to understand what Christ is saying here is that women submit willingly out of a love for Christ. The church has fallen in love with God and we remember what He's done for us. And because of that, I'm only too happy to submit my life under Him because I love Him and I trust Him and I respect Him. And so that's the position that we hear of here, that um, there's something, you know, deep in a man when he can come into his own and actually walk out the role God's ordained him for in the family, right? And there's something very deep for a woman when she can come into a place where she's operating out of the, operating out of the role that God's anointed her for, right? When she can freely and creatively support and complement the leadership of her husband, right? It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. But I want you to, to hear this this morning, that there's a difference in the husband's and the wife's pursuit of personal spiritual strength in their life. You see, one thing we've got to remember is that God still calls the husband and He still calls the wife to seek after Him first. But out of that, a beautiful thing happens, right? You see, what happens for the husband, it's the foundation of his headship and his heart for leadership that God wants to enrich and grow and strengthen as he spends time with God alone in solitude. And when the wife comes to God alone in solitude, what God wants to do for her is that it becomes the foundation of her submission and her support to her husband's headship. Neither will be able to fulfill the role God's called him to unless they're spending that time in solitude seeking God. It's an amazing thing. Now we're called to come together as husband and wife and seek God. But what I love about this is Paul is saying, don't underestimate the significance that when the husband is before God in pursuit and intimacy and the, and the wife's in, uh, under God in pursuit and intimacy, that God begins to develop and grow and strengthen how they've been designed so they can come back together and complement one another. Amen. And the same fire, when we're in, in, in that presence with God, that same fire can make one element firm and another element soft. And so the fire of God's presence in solitude produces d significant different effects for the husband and wife. But ultimately what it does is it begins to draw them closer together. Amen. It begins to draw them closer together. I want you to hear this, that God's plan for marriage is beautiful. It's deeply fulfilling. It's not oppressive. It's not fearful. It's freeing because it's God's deep design for how things should be between husband and wife. Amen. And if we go on through, if we begin to, to step into Ephesians 6 and verse 1, it says this. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That word uh, obey comes from the word hapakeo, which implies an inferior. What it's saying is this. In God's eyes, we're, we're all equal. But within the family unit, the position of child is inferior to the position of parent, right? As uh, they come under the authority of the parent, they are to submit under the, the hand and authority of their parent. And that word is the same word that we use in Scripture when we talk about submitting to God. You know, we are not God's equal, and so our position is to come under His authority, under His promise, under His hand, under His word and obey, right? But who knows 
there's too many children out there in families today that are on the same level as mum and dad, right? So rather than parent you, I want to be your friend. Why? Because it's a lot easier to be your friend than be your parent. I don't have to do the uphill battle. I don't have to sometimes stand up when you don't think I love you, but I do. And I've got to put the hard word on you and I've got to stand fast. So I will just be your friend. But the problem is then we wonder why so many young people have an issue with this concept of authority and respect and honor, right? Here's the thing. God calls children to obey and to submit under the hand of their parents because those years that are a child's years are really the premise or the proving ground for that child learning what it is and how to submit under the authority of Jesus the day that they decide to find their own salvation. Amen? The day that they find their own salvation in Christ, hey, I learned what it is to come under the authority of my parents. I learned what it is to trust them, even though I didn't like it. I learned to come under their hand. So when I meet Christ and Christ asks me to do the same thing, I understand it. i got a healthy view of it. I can do that. Amen? Never before, I think, have we seen such a prevalence of, I think, rebellion, perhaps, in our younger generation, constantly pushing back, constantly pushing back against authority, constantly pushing back against submission. I don't need to, I don't need to submit. I don't need to come under authority. I'm my own person. The world tells me I can do anything, and so I can. I'm pushing back. And what I see is the enemy doing everything he can to dismantle that foundation in the lives of our young people, right? Causing them to push back. Why? So they miss out on the promise. Paul says here is that it may be well with you and that your children may live long on this earth. Amen. This call to honor is not just for the child, but it's also for the adult, right? As we walk into adult years, we're called to honor, continue to honor our mothers and fathers. But now here's the burn. What if you spent your whole childhood simply trying to survive maybe in a family that's dysfunctional? What maybe mom wasn't there, maybe dad wasn't around, maybe you suffered at the hands of your parents, abuse and neglect. Well, how does honor fit into that? And I felt, you know, because the reality is for a lot of people who've been there, this idea of obedience, of honoring, it's very hard to swallow, right? And I remember sitting there thinking this through and God just moving on my heart to encourage our people that you and I can still honor, often in the most unimaginable circumstances, through our ability to forgive, through our ability to forgive. You might say to me, Justin, if you knew my, there is no ways I could ever reconcile my relationship with my parents. It's just, I can't even go back there. It's too tragic to think about. I will never forget what's happened to me. You know what? I don't, I'm not asking you to forget, but what I want to ask you to do is try and learn to forgive. Why? Because in forgiveness, I promise you, you find a freedom. In forgiveness, you will access a power that has the ability to break chains around your life that keep you bitter, that keep you angry, that keep you resentful. And so what we're doing is say, I can never forget what's happened to me, but what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to take everything that my parents weren't or were to me, and I'm going to give it to you, God. I'm going to give it to you, Jesus. I'm just going to take it off my life because I don't want to carry it anymore. And so if that's the only way I can honor, that's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to choose to forgive, and I want you to hear me when I say forgiveness is a choice before you step into it, right? You've got to make a decision every day. I'm going to choose to forgive, and I'm just going to choose to bring through to God what's happened to me in my life. And in that way, God says, you know what? You're honoring your parents. You're honoring your parents. Amen? 
1 Peter 5, 7 says this, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Amen. And herein lies the charge to us as parents. I think let us never underestimate, okay, the, the responsibility that's been entrusted to us to play our part in shaping and forming the lives of a younger generation that I pray one day will stand in this place and declare the name of Jesus. Amen. And it says here in verse, uh, verse 4, And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Parents, we need to understand this is commandment. It's not a suggestion, right? And that word for provoke to anger is a Greek word, and it comes from two. The first is para, which means to come alongside. And the second one is orgizo, which means the process of getting angry slowly over time. And so what the scripture is saying, it's not talking about those moments in our human weakness as parents where we just cause our children to get really mad and angry, right? But it's saying this, that the life you live as a parent in front of the eyes of your child, if that life is dysfunctional, if that life doesn't marry up to what you speak, if that life is negligent or abusive, what begins to happen is what your child is seeing over time begins to develop an anger on the inside of them slowly, and slowly, and as they grow up, eventually that anger boils over, and it's got nowhere else to go, so it begins to come out of them, and often we see that when, in later teenage years, as adults, but often by then, the problem is it has incredibly destructive consequences for our children, right? The mantle of parenthood is understanding your life is lived in view of eyes that are windows to the soul of somebody incredibly impressionable, and so because of that, and by the grace of God, we as parents need to teach our kids and live a life that role models to our kids things like grace, compassion, kindness, integrity, hard work. It's okay to fall over. You can get back up again. If I've done the wrong thing, I'm going to do everything I can to do the right thing. Amen? Do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Then we go into Ephesians 6, 5. Through to eight, and it says, Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleases, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing services to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. Bond servants and masters, another way I guess you can say that is employers and employees, right? So employees, how do we represent Christ in the workplace, right? In the words of St. Francis of Assisi, how do we let our lives speak of the gospel without necessarily having to use words? Now, I want to tell you how this goes wrong, and I want to clear up any misconception as how we as believers of Jesus should behave in the workplace, right? And I'll tell you a story. Many years ago, I used to work for Franklin's. Who remembers Franklin's? Good old Frankers, no frills, right? And so I went into a store as a manager in St. Ives in Sydney, and in that store was a produce manager, and for argument's sake, we'll call him Johnny. And upon my arrival at the store, it was very clear to me very quickly that Johnny was a believer. He was a believer in Jesus. And I can see some of you looking at me like, oh, isn't that magical, Justin? You found a brother in the faith in the Lord. Well, it's not quite like that. That's not how the story rolls, right? Because um, it was very apparent that not many people liked Johnny. In fact, there was a lot of open disdain for Johnny, especially by one of our other managers, and you can imagine, to my surprise, I kind of came into the store on Johnny's side, right? And what it looked like for me, I mean, he seemed like a really nice guy, very authentic, very genuine. And so to me, I looked at the picture and I went, 
they're just persecuting Johnny because of his faith, right? And something was getting a bit riled up in me, and I'm like, come on, Johnny, we're going to stand together, and we're going to wave the banner high, and we're not going to let them talk to you like that, Johnny, and come on, let's, we're going to do this for Jesus, right? But then something happens, a couple of weeks of being in the store, I began to notice something about Johnny, right? Johnny was never where Johnny was supposed to be, right? Store's busted, produce is busted, so busy. Where's Johnny? What's he doing? Can't find him. Okay, you know, customers queued back down the aisles at the registers, you know, can we have a priority one? Johnny, priority one to registers, Johnny. Johnny's nowhere to be found. There's just no Johnny. Get all the team leaders together for a meeting, waiting on Johnny, waiting. Where's Johnny? I don't know, I haven't seen him. So one day, quite perplexed, I decided to go on the hunt for Johnny, right? Where's Wally or where's Johnny? I'm going to go find Johnny. I don't know where Johnny's gone. So I'm walking through the store going, where is this kid? I don't understand what's going on. I kid you not, I eventually found Johnny out in a little back room in our receiving dock, doing nothing else than sitting on a little milk crate, reading the Bible. Oh, there's your faces again. Oh, isn't that lovely, Justin? Johnny's sharing time with the Lord. And I went, Johnny, what are you doing? I'm just reading my Bible. I thought, okay, that's, that's great, Johnny. But do you think maybe... You could get back out there and, I don't know, do some work, maybe. And, you know, Johnny would very slowly get up and go and do his thing. Next day, hoping for the best, oops, where's Johnny? Off I go again. What's going on with this kid? There I find him again in our receiving dock. This time, and I kid you not, having a bit of prayer time with the Lord in this little room. Johnny, what you doing? Just spending some time with God. Okay, that's lovely, Johnny, but you know what? You're really behind in your paperwork. It's a mess. Do you think you can get into the office and fix that up? Just that I'm just spending some time with the Lord. Now my patience is changing, and I'm like, you're going to be spending a whole lot of time with my foot in your bum if you don't get out and sort out your paperwork, right? And off he would go, very begrudgingly. So here's the thing, right? Johnny hardly worked. Johnny would come to work late. Johnny would go home early, especially on Tuesdays, because it's Connect Group. We don't want to be late for Connect Group, so you go home early, right? Nobody liked Johnny. In fact, when everyone thought of Johnny, they thought he should be performance managed out of the store and out of the business. Oh, and by the way, he's a Christian. So here's what the unbeliever does, is he begins to connect the two. And they'll do this every time. Johnny, Christian, burden. Christian, really bad work ethic. Christian, weirdo. Christian doesn't want to hang out with us because we don't have the same faith, right? If there are Johnnies in this room this morning, I want to talk to you. Just for a minute. Right? If God has called you into the workplace, then you better be the best worker in that workplace. Amen? What Paul is saying in the scripture is don't be like Johnny in the workplace because you're not representing Christ. You're misrepresenting Christ. If God has called you into the workplace and you're to work unto the Lord, that means that when everyone else is giving 100%, you're giving 110% that you're actually turning up to work early and you're staying until the job is done. You're always two steps ahead of your boss. You're thinking with a bit of uh, ingenuity uh, and initiative and you're doing everything you can to make your boss look the best he can be. And then you're showing genuine care and concern for those around you. And then, only then, when someone asks you, what's so different about your life? What's going on in your world that I ask God for the wisdom and grace to share the hope that I have on the inside of me. Amen. Come on. Some of you might say to me, well, Justin, you just don't understand. I hate my job. Nobody likes me. I'm never getting a promotion. Here's an idea. Get another job. But don't let your faith become an excuse for poor performance. 
Do not let your faith, you know what, make time for God your first priority in your life, but then let your life, whether you're a business partner or an employee or, con or contractor, show Christ through your integrity, your hard work, your compassion for other people. Amen. Verse 9 says, and you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. To those that have been entrusted with authority over another, Paul is saying, remember who is in authority over you, right? If you have the opportunity to come under or, or have leadership or authority over someone, you've got to understand this, right? If God can't trust you with one, he won't trust you with many, right? God is not interested in status, wealth, connection, influence. What God is interested in and what God cares about are His children. And so if you find yourself having the privilege of leading, having the privilege of being oversight for someone, being over someone in authority, then what Paul is saying is treat them as one God has placed in your care because He cares for them. Amen. Matthew 25, 40 says, And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And now we come to the final exhortation of Paul as he begins to close his letter to the church. And he says this, 10 to 13. Finally, my brethren, be strong. Everyone say, be strong. Be strong in the, in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness, even the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand. It's like this, you accept Jesus into your life as your Lord and Savior, and all of a sudden it's like the stage curtain you didn't even know was there, it lifts up, and you're introduced to the cast and crew of hell's most wanted, right? What Paul is saying here is, Paul calls them, and he refers to them as principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, and really as a Christian, you tend to get a front row seat to a lot of it, right, with them. But Paul is very clear on making a point to differentiate between two things here, flesh and blood, and principalities and powers, why? Because both take a very different game plan if you want to overcome them, right? They're very different. Flesh and blood, man, if I don't like you, I'm just going to avoid you. If I don't like you, I don't want to talk to you, I'm not going to answer your calls, I'm not going to return your texts, right? If I really don't like you, I'll probably cut your brakes, right? And if for those with European blood in them, if I really don't like you, I'll, you know, I'll call my brother Vinny. Hey, Vinny, you take care of it, I'll take care of it, it's fine, you know, that's, that's if I really don't like you. Flesh and blood, we can manipulate, we can control, we can manage through our own abilities, our own strengths, our own ingenuity, our own will. Principalities, powers, rulers of darkness. When I give my cousin Vinny a call, I can't help you. I've got nothing, right? Nothing we can do. And so what's happening here is, have you ever wondered why sometimes it's so difficult just to get to church? Right, I'm going to get a little bit spiritual with you this morning. Have you ever wondered why it is just so hard sometimes to sit down and just read your Bible? Have you ever wondered sometimes why it's so hard just to be consistent in developing a prayer life? Why it's so hard just to give out of your pocket the tithe, the offering. Why it's so hard just to keep your thoughts on things that are pure. Why you always seem to be in contention with people at the wrong time in your life, but I believe in God. The answer, my friend, is spiritual warfare, right? Spiritual warfare. 
You see, what Paul is saying here is flesh and blood are one thing, spiritual principalities and powers are another, right? They're another. This is the reality for most of us. The devil does not want you to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But if you do, he does not want it to be intimate. But if it is, then he does not want it to have influence on people around your life, all right? That's just, that's just the enemy. And what Paul is wanting believers to understand is if we are going to take a stand against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and overcome them, then we can't do it in our own strength. We've got to get our own strength and our own abilities and our own ingenuity out of the way because it's not going to work, right? It's not going to work. Paul is telling us that when flesh and blood step out of the ring of your life and principalities and powers step in, you've got to actually take off the boxing gloves, because they're not going to help you. They're not going to work, right? What he's saying is you've got to put on the only thing that is going to help you stand against that and overcome it, and that is the armor of God, right? That's the whole armor of God. And I want you to note something. Paul says here, you've got to put on the armor of God. That verb put on indicates that you and I have a choice. You and I have a choice. The armor of God is not automatically upon you. He's saying you've got to put it on. It's a choice you make. Whether you put it on or not is going to depend on whether you're going to go to a place of fear or faith. Faith according to what? To the Word of God. The Word of God tells me that if I put on the armor of God, I'm going to be able to stand. I'm going to be able to stand and overcome Him. Amen. Deuteronomy 30.19 says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose. Everybody say choose. Choose life. You and I have to choose life that both you and your descendants may live. God gives you a choice, church. You've got to choose what you're going to do with it. So let me ask you, every morning when you get out of bed, what choices will you choose to make as the day unfolds? What is the first thing you're going to allow to influence you when you open your eyes in the morning? Are you going to pick up the phone and do the social media scroll? Are you going to pick up the Bible? Are you going to go to that place of fear? Are you going to go to that place of faith? Right? Are you going to put on the boxing gloves or are you going to choose to put on the armor of God? Right? Most importantly, are you going to have an espresso or Nescafe Blend 43? All of that's going to impact how your day unfolds. Amen. Come on. Paul exhorts us to put on the whole armor of God, to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. This tells me the power we need for spiritual battle is not our power, but it's God's. And here's the crazy thing I want you just to Let's sink in for a minute. The moment you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says that all, all of God's power, all of His resources, all of His strength and might are put at your disposal as a son and daughter of God. All of it, right? Verse 14 to 17 says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Having girded your waist with truth, that belt of truth that holds everything together, keeping things away from the soldiers' feet, not obstructing them so they don't stumble. Having that breastplate of righteousness, you and I are made righteous, through the blood of Jesus Christ in the eyes of God. And that righteousness, it protects your most vital organs. It protects your heart, right? Putting on the gospel of peace. That gospel is our foundation. It's upon, it, it stabilizes us. It centers us. From there, we live out our lives based on the gospel and the truth of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
We take up the shield of faith. Faith active in your life acts as a shield. It prevents the enemy from being able to bring in those darts and those arrows of discouragement and anxiety and fear. Putting on that helmet of salvation, understanding that you are saved not by your works, but by the grace of God. It's a free gift given unto you. And then taking up the sword of the Word of God. And that sword, interestingly, is the only part of the armor that is designed for the offensive, not the defensive. The Word of God is designed that you can take some heat to the enemy and speak truth and overcome. Amen. Having girded your waist. It goes on to say this in verses 18 to 20. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. That in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And so I want to ask you this question very quickly this morning. If we have all of God's resources, power, might at our disposal, right? If we have access to His infinite power, if we can stand firm in the armor of God, then why is it that so often our lives don't reveal that power? Why is it so often in life that we can seem empty of victory? And so I want you to, for a moment, just picture your life as a spiritual fuse box. Ken's going to get this because he's an electrician, so you and me, brother, let's go. Picture your life as a spiritual fuse box. No matter how much power is on the circuit, that fuse box is going to let a certain amount of power through, right? Now, if the power, too much power tries to get through or there's a power surge, what happens? That fuse box breaks, right? Well, so it is with our Christian lives, all right? You have all of God's supernatural power available to you over here. Heaven is ready to download to you everything you need for every given situation. God's power is ready. He's ready to give it. Here's you and I living life, and if you can imagine between us and God, it's a little 10-amp fuse. Teeny-weeny, yep, he's laughing. Teeny-weeny little 10-amp fuse. Here's the truth I want you to catch this morning. Doesn't matter how much power God's got, God can only get to your life as much power as that 10-amp fuse can handle, right? But here's the problem, church. A lot of our breakthroughs, a lot of our hurdles, a lot of the mountains we have to climb require more than 10 amps of power, require more than 10 amps of power. If you need to walk in miracles, if you're sick of going around the same mountain, if you need breakthrough, if you need to get strong in the Lord, sometimes that requires us living at a 30 amp level of power. You see what I'm saying this morning, church? But the good news is this, there's a way to get a bigger fuse box. There's a way to invest in a bigger circuit breaker. Amen? Who's with me this morning? So how do we do it? How do we do it? Well, there was a man who lived about 1,700 years ago, and his name is Vegetius. It's a very sexy name, Vegetius. And at this time, you've got to understand, the Roman Empire was beginning to lose its grip on the world. Okay? So the Roman Empire was beginning to lose its strength and its power. And so to encourage the army to kind of regain its strength, what Vegetius did was he wrote a manual describing the Roman army's former glory. Right? And he calls this manual the military institutes of the Romans, and in it he writes this. He says, victory in war does not depend entirely upon numbers or mere courage. Only skill and discipline will ensure it. We find that the Romans owed the conquest of the world to no other cause than continual military training, exact observation of discipline in their camps, 
and unwearied cultivation of the other arts of war. And I thought that was phenomenal. Training, discipline, and unwearied cultivation. You see, what happens after taking an, an oath of service, these Roman soldiers would begin their training, right? And this training was incredibly intense. It was continuous. It was disciplined. It was without mercy, all for the singular objective of reaching perfection. The training was designed to take these eager young Roman men and really turn them into these lean, mean fighting machines on the battlefield, forces to be reckoned with, right? But could you imagine for a moment if they come to sign, their, sign up on the dotted line and the general kind of says, thanks, boys, thanks very much for signing up. That's great. You're part of the army. Now you go away and do whatever you like. Have fun, party, hang out, whatever. But just bear in mind, at some point we're going to give you a bell. We'd like you to come down and fight for us on the battlefield when we do. Could you imagine those soldiers standing on the battlefield, bellies full of Forex beer, very dizzy, very uncoordinated, not focused. It's not, it's not hard to put two together. They'd be decimated, right? They'd be decimated. But that's what we do so often with Christians, right? When they come to God, they receive the Lord as their Savior. They receive the seal of the Holy Spirit. And then we kind of go, great, awesome. You got your bumper sticker. You got your Joyce Meyer Bible. Relax, you're there. You've made it. But then we're surprised when so many Christians become decimated by sin and temptation in their life, right? So many Christians start out strong and they come into church only to fall away or worse, go back to their old ways, right? We shouldn't be surprised, church, at the failures. Instead, we should be taking new believers and training them for battle, right? Training them in the art of war. Our churches should be full of believers who are trained, skilled, disciplined, who understands what it means to be spiritually fit. Because what good is it holding the sword in battle if you don't know how to wield it, if you don't have the skill to use it? Amen? And so we as a church have a responsibility to show our people how to become spiritually fit. We've got to show them how to use their weapons, how to defend themselves, show people what does a spiritual battle look and feel like, right? We've got to teach our people how to stay spiritually healthy. And what are those spiritual disciplines? Well, the basic ones really we know are the Word of God, prayer, fellowship with other believers, putting your roots down in the church. The problem is so many believers can't get through the basics, and so they never fully realize the full outworking of that power we're talking about in their lives. Constantly defeated, constantly pushed down, right? So, how do we move beyond that? Paul says, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. How do you get strong so you can experience His power? By exercising and training yourself in spiritual disciplines. Now, sometimes that doesn't sound very exciting, but Paul puts a charge to us in life and says, you can't be a spiritual child forever. He speaks to his children in Corinth and he says, I've left you, I've come back to you, and you're still where you were those years back. You haven't grown up, you haven't matured, you haven't allowed the struggles and challenges in life to develop you and strengthen you. You haven't trained yourself in the art of war. You can't use your armor. You don't know what it's for. You can't wield your sword. Amen? In fact, the word be strong in the Greek is the word dynamite, which we, you've heard before comes from the word dynamite. But what I love is Paul does something very curious with this word in Scripture here. He takes the word and he adds a special prefix onto the word, which makes the word injunomeo. And in this way, the word doesn't just mean strong, but it means becoming strong. It means growing stronger and stronger and stronger. 
And that is the charge for you and I when we leave the infancy stages of Christianity and we start to walk as men and women of God skilled in war. What Paul is saying, how do we do this? It's just like physical exercise. You want to become stronger, you got to get yourself into the gym and you got to lift those weights and you got to work out. You got to exercise. You can't be scared of some spiritual sweat, church. If you want to move forward and defeat and shift some of those giants in your life that you struggled with maybe your whole life and you keep going around the same mountains, I want to tell you to listen to the charge of Paul. It's time to get stronger. It's time to switch out the 10 amp fuse and stick in the 30 so God can finally get more power to you. I want you to hear me this morning. It's not like God's saying, I'm going to shortchange you on power. I'm, a, I'm twisted and I just want to have a laugh at you struggling in life and I've got all the power and I'm not getting you any. No, no, no. God says, I want to give you everything you need to overcome. Why? Because I've called you. There's a purpose and a plan for your life that my name would be glorified. But unless you switch out the fuse, put in the 30 amp, it's not going to happen. We're going to stop getting angry at God and say, you know what? I've got to train. I've got to get stronger. I've got to get into the gym. Maybe the first time you hit the gym, you're lifting five kilos. You're lifting 10. And it seems very hard. And you're sweating it out. But I promise you this. The more you keep turning up, the more you press in, the more you come before God, the more you sh shut out the distractions in your life and keep working, soon it's 15, soon it's 20, soon it's 30, soon there's 40. Why is that important? Because can I tell you now, you've got some big giants in your world, you ain't going to shift if all you can lift is 5 kgs. You've got to be able to lift 30. Some giants require a bit more push, a bit more strength. We've got to become a church that is not afraid to see our people raised up and skilled in the art of war. Amen? In the art of war. And finally, as we draw to a close, and I might get the band up if I can, that would be wonderful. Verse 21, 22, and 23 to 4 says this, But that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs, and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all, those who love our Lord Jesus Christ. In sincerity, I mean, I love that Paul surrounded himself with men that could support and encourage and share his vision of what he was doing. And I know I've labored a little bit on the back end of Ephesians 6 and talking about it, but I feel in my heart that it's just so critical for us as a church and believers in this day and age to know how to use what God's given us. The reality, and I don't want you to be ignorant of this, is there are spiritual principalities and powers and rulers of darkness that want nothing other than to take you out. Why? Because they know that there's a call on your life, that God's called you to do great things. But he puts the onus and the choice of us when we wake up every morning, how we're going to walk into that. God's always available. He's ready. He's not just, he hasn't fallen asleep. He hasn't gone on to other things. He's standing over your life and he's going, you know what? I want to give you everything that you have a right to as a child and a daughter of the Son of God. But it's going to take some work. It's going to take some training. It's going to take getting intentional about how do I make my life stronger around those spiritual disciplines. Amen. Because if we can do that, I tell you now, we're going to see victory in our life. We're going to begin to overcome. We're going to begin to sense that power of God moving freely through our lives. Paul was, I think above everyone else, someone who understood this, right? 
He was beaten, whipped, shipwrecked, stoned. He understood firsthand the intensity that comes from hell to stop heaven's children doing what God's called them to do. And for this very reason, he implores them over and over, I want you to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Because I know the call on your life. Paul had an incredible call on his life. He shared the gospel with the Gentiles across most of you know, the world. He wrote most of the New Testament. But it didn't come without a fight. And I want to tell you this this morning. There are dreams, things God wants to bring you into, promises that he has for your life. But if you sit there and you think it's not going to require a fight, you're misled. It will. Why? Because it's worth it. Because at the end of the day, you and I will stand before God and give account of our lives. And you know what I want to hear is well done. I want to know that I have done everything God has called me to do in this lifetime that I can stand in eternity with Him one day and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Can we stand this morning? You know, I really sense that just the presence of God is in this place. And it's just such a, a burden I feel on my heart to impress, impress that upon you this morning, that God loves you. I don't want you to take what I've said and, and be fearful of it, intimidated by it. Because you know what? We serve a faithful God. He wants to journey out every step of that process with us. But the reason I speak it is because I see such promise over the lives of our people and the life of this church for what God has called us to. But we've got to take up the fight. We've got to take up the fight. We've got to get determined on the inside of us that if we're, we're going around the same mountain and we're journeying around the same things and we're struggling and we're confused, the first thing the devil will do is bring doubt into your world. Is this where I'm supposed to be? Maybe I'm just not strong enough to overcome this. Maybe that life was never meant for me. Maybe this is what I'm destined for and I've just got to keep going around the same mountain. I've got to accept the same functional abuse. I've got to accept the same uh, problems in my life and it's just the way it is. It's not the way it is, church. God can give you breakthrough. God can give blessing into your world. God can set you free. But there's a part we need to play when you get up in the morning. You say, you know what? I want to do all these things, but this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get into the Word of God, and I'm going to get that Word on the inside of me, and I'm going to pray like my life literally depends on it, that God would move and shift something in my world, because I'm sick and tired of not stepping into what God has called me to. I'm telling you, church, there is a promise and breakthrough for your life, but we've got to take up the cause as a church and fight for it. You have the sword of the Word of God in your hand. You are a soldier and a son and a daughter of the Most High God. It's time and it's a season and it's a day where you learn to fight for everything God wants to give you. Because as you do, I'm telling you now, walls will come down. Breakthrough will happen. Blessing will arrive. Peace will flow. Dreams will reignite. Courage will lift up on the inside of you and you'll begin to stand and declare the Word of God and you will see miracles in your world. And guess what? God will be glorified in your life. God will be glorified. He has designed you that you would reflect His glory in this life. So let's take it to the enemy, church. Amen. Why don't we just bow our heads for a moment? Father, I thank you right now for the plans and the promises and the purpose that you have for our life, individually, corporately. God, we know that we stand before principalities, powers, rulers of darkness. But God, today we draw a line in the sand. 
Today we take the cold hard handle of that sword and we begin to lift it up again in this place. God, we determine as a church and as a people that we will press in, that we will become strong, that we will not be shaken, we'll not look to the left or the right, but we'll keep our eyes fixed on you and we'll work and we'll train and we'll press in and we'll pray and we'll stand on your word and we'll connect and we'll come together in this place that we would become strong, that the enemy would be, be under our feet and that we would realize the full power available to us. And right now in this place, I just want to ask a very simple question. Maybe some of you have never really heard about this Jesus. Maybe some of you can identify so clearly with what I've said and the struggles in your life. They're real and I get that. But what I want you to see is that God is a God of restoration. God is a God who can renew the years the locusts have stolen. But maybe you've, you've never really had an opportunity to engage with this God. Maybe you need to know Him. Maybe you're, you're curious about Him. Can I tell you now? The Bible says that He is the way, He's the truth, and He's the life. And He came to die a horrible death on a cross. He, is, he bled out to pay the price for the sins we carry in our life. Not because we deserved it, but because He loves us. He loves us so passionately. He loves us with such a furious love that God sent His one and only Son to die on a cross that we would come back to Him, that we would be reconciled to Him as a son and a daughter. And the minute that we accept Him into our lives as our Lord and our Savior, He says, you know what, I wash you clean. doesn't matter about your past. doesn't matter about what you've done. doesn't even matter about what you'll do. He says, I've given you forgiveness. It's whole and it's complete. Because of what my son has done for you, you've, you're made right. So that's you this morning. No one's looking around. I would love to have the privilege just to pray with you that you would accept Him into your life as your Lord and Savior. No one looking around. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I don't want to pass up that opportunity. If that is you this morning, can you just lift your hand up very quickly and say, Justin, will you just pray for me? No one looking around. Just very quickly, Justin, will you just pray for me that I would know this Jesus you're talking about? The second thing I want to do is I want to call you to arms this morning, church. I know that there are people standing in this place and you've gone through struggles and it's the same struggle and it's the same burden and it's the same challenge and it just feels like no matter what you're doing, you're not shaking it. But I'm telling you this morning, God wants to encounter you in this place. He wants to bring you in a new day. He wants to get that soldier spirit on the inside of you, stir it up again, that you turn around and say, you know what, no more. No more. Today's a new day and I can walk in the power that my God has given me. If that's you this morning, I want you to come and stand with me up the front and I just want to pray with you that today's a new day. Today you draw a line in the sand. You say, you know what? Justin, would you just pray for me that going forward from this place, I'm going to overcome. I'm going to stop walking around those same mountains. I'm going to get victory in my life and I'm going to start living the life that God has called me to, that God has destined me to. If that's you this morning, you just come down the front. I'm going to ask the worship team just to play the song. And I just want to stand with you and I want to pray with you this morning that today's a new day, amen. We can draw a line in the sand this morning. Thank you, worship team. Thanks for listening to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. For more life-changing messages, visit us online at c3noosa.org. If you've been blessed by this message, please consider partnering with us financially to see the work of God continue flourishing in and through C3 Church Noosa.
God bless.